This is Listen Again with the Bridge, your opportunity to hear Sunday's message. We hope you enjoy listening, and it all starts right now. Last week, we enjoyed having the football team here. As many of you know, if you were here, we kind of directed that message to them, but it was to all of us about playing offense and that we are warriors on God's team. And three things we had to do is guard the heart inside of us, protect those around us, and win the battle before us. And I referred to a scripture that I want to pick up on this morning, and we're going to piggyback off of that message and dive right into something very similar. First Peter 5.8, we read last week, be alert and of sober mind. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And today I want to talk about the importance of knowing your enemy. If you know your enemy, you're going to be able to play better offense, knowing what you're up against. John 10.10 tells us about our enemy. He says that the thief comes only. There's nothing good about this if you see these three things. He only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That is what your enemy wants to do. He's looking to steal, kill, and destroy anything close to the heart of God, and that would be us. And part of playing offense is knowing your enemy. After last week's message, David's brother, our worship leader, his brother, Stephen Dirks, came up to me and he told me a football analogy that kind of went along with last week, but I'm going to actually use it this week, and I think it fits very much to what we're talking about. There was a safety for the Baltimore Ravens by the name of Ed Reed, and Ed Reed knew his enemy. He knew his opponent well, and his opponent at this time was Peyton Manning. And he knew that Peyton Manning throughout the season would be watching film on Ed Reed on how he played defense so that Peyton could play the best offense as quarterback against the Baltimore Ravens. So Ed Reed purposefully played a play wrong at the beginning of the season several times over. He did the same play wrong every time knowing that Peyton Manning would see that as a weakness and use that against him later on in the season. And sure enough, when it came time for those two teams to meet, Peyton Manning, expecting Ed Reed to play it wrong again, threw a pass to one of his receivers, and Ed Reed was able to make the interception on that play because he knew his enemy. Now, I promise for all of you that don't like football or don't understand football, I will not use another football analogy for months now. I promise I'll leave them out. But It was very good in applying to what we're talking about. I want to be clear that this this message today is not a devil-glorifying message. But what this is, is I want to equip us who are followers of Christ to know how to do battle against the one who hates God and hates us. His mission is very clear. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. And he he wants to destroy you. Now, when we think of the word kill... Obviously, we think putting to death, right? And death, in our minds, it means the end of life. But in the Bible, there's a different meaning for death. Yes, it can mean the end of life, but death can also mean a separation. Just like when we die, our soul separates from our physical body. Therefore, death happens. 
But when we're talking about death, I want you to think of it in the form of separation. It's why sin and death go together. Anywhere you find sin in the Bible, you're going to find death because it is a separation. So just look at these scriptures with me. Ezekiel 18.4 in the New King, or New, yeah, New King James Version, I knew I'd get there, says, behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. Look what it says next. The soul who sins will die. Romans 6.23, which we all know very well, the wages of sin is what? Death. There is a separation between us and God. James 1.14 and 15. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? Death. Sin and death always go together. And with that in mind, the more we know about our enemy, the better we can fight, the better offense we can play. Our enemy is out to separate us from God. So I want to show you one more scripture in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 12, and in in many ways, this will set the context to help you understand what enemy we're going up against. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. In other words, those people on this earth that drive you crazy, they're not your enemy. Many times we think of them that way, but this actually says there's a spiritual world as well as a physical world. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Our enemy, the devil, if you look throughout the Bible, he has many different names. We're going to talk about one of those today. As we begin to understand him better, he's called Lucifer, he's called the deceiver, he's called the destroyer, he's called the father of lies, he's called the prince of darkness. But the one I want to focus on today is our enemy is also known as the accuser. Satan is the accuser who attacks attacks our heart with accusations. He's very direct about how he does this. And the reason he wants to accuse you is to separate you from God. He wants you to feel as though you're not worthy, as though you don't deserve certain things, to separate you from the one who loves you. My wife and I, we've been married for 20 years. And in those 20 years, we've had opportunities to disagree every once in a while. Let's just be honest. Mostly about Wheel of Fortune because we love going against each other and we're both very, very uh, competitive. competitive. That's, that's right. But sometimes it's more important things like this week, because of one night that it was a little chilly, she decided to sneak a blanket under the comforter without telling me. I went to bed that night and I was like, what's this? We've got another blanket in here. Why'd you do that? Well, it's cold. And I was like, well, I'm not cold. And so if you see me getting thinner, it's because I'm sweating off a lot of extra fat at night because it's so hot in our room right now because we have this extra blanket. And so my, my, my advice was, let's put the blanket on top of the comforter. That way I can throw it off. And she's like, well, you can throw the comforter off. But the blanket is thin and the comforter is thick. And, you know, you want just the right amount of warmth. 
I keep telling her, we won't have these conversations if you'll just submit to my authority and do what I say, it'll all go smoothly, right? (laughs) Unfortunately, that hasn't worked yet. I've also been known to get upset with my kids every once in a while. I've, I've said some things to them in anger. Why? Because they're pastor's kids. They're supposed to be perfect, right? But they don't know that. So unfortunately, they haven't found that yet. Here's the thing. After I've had an issue with my wife or with my children, and I found myself angry, I experienced the fiery darts of accusations like you cannot imagine. And I think we can all probably say we've experienced this before. You're not a man of God. You shouldn't be preaching. You're not worthy to be married to her. You're not righteous or you're not deserving. You're a bad example to your children and to other children as their pastor. All these things begin to come into my brain and I begin to hear these things because of something I've done wrong. And what do we do in these moments? When we begin to hear those accusations is we begin to isolate ourselves from others because we don't want them to see the way we are. And what we do is we separate ourselves from God because we don't want him to see who we've become. Separation brings death. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Just how good they had it. God created this very special place. Perfect place. Told him one thing. Just don't eat from this one tree. And it's all yours. And of course, they disobeyed him. They found the one tree. They ate of that tree. And the God they once walked with they now find themselves running from, separating from him. So what we need to understand is that these voices, these negative voices that we hear, are not from our heavenly father who loves us. They're from an enemy who hates every single person in this room. Now, I want to be clear when we're talking about voices. We're not talking about like audible voices. If you're hearing audible voices, come and see us after church. You know, we have more to talk about. Um, But no, we're talking about like just like that negative thought pattern, that inner chatter that you hear from the enemy. And I don't know if any of you have ever experienced something like that. Voices that are saying you're not worth anything. You're not good enough. You're not lovable. You've really messed up this time, so you're not trustworthy. And on and on and on. And those come from our enemy, who is also known as the accuser. But I have good news for you today. Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon that is turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. That's the good news today is we have the power to do that. I don't know if you've ever had an accuser. Um, Usually it starts when we're very young, maybe with a sibling accusing you of something. Someone ever in your life that accuses you of something that you did um, and they're just constantly reminding you of it or maybe even something that you didn't do. Chad has an accuser in our family who never lets him live down one of his mistakes. When Connor was in preschool and Tessa was just a little baby in her infancy, Chad would take him to preschool every morning and he'd take Tessa with him because I was at home, um, from home in our office teaching um, ITV Spanish. And so I would teach it over the television to the students. So I could see him pull away in the minivan every day to drop Connor off at school. And one day he comes back and I hear the garage door open and then I hear the garage or shut, and the van turns around and it goes back the other way, and I think, that's strange. And about that time, I get a call from the preschool, and they say, hey, I think your husband forgot something at school. I'm like, well, what did he forget? Your daughter. He left her under the... (laughs) 
he left her under the coat rack. And so he had set her down and helped Connor take his coat and his backpack off and everything, walked Connor to class, and then just walked on out. And he got all the way home before he realized he did not have his daughter with him. Now, she doesn't remember this, but she has heard the story over and over. And she's 12, so approximately 4,379 days he has not left her anywhere. But one day, he did, and she loves to accuse him and remind him of that. Usually when she's trying to get something, it goes something like this. Hey, Dad, remember that time you left me under the coat rack at preschool? Can I have? Whatever it is. Um, But maybe you have made a mistake in your life. And you have an accuser who will not let you forget it. And today we're going to talk about the devil, the accuser. And this is what John called the devil in Revelation 12.10. Revelation is a book that was written by John. He's had a vision and he's describing it for us. And he says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters. So the Greek word translated accuser is the word diablos. And it's used 35 different times in the New Testament. And it's translated as devil, adversary, or accuser. I know a lot of times when we talk about the devil, we picture, you know, this little guy in a red outfit with the pitchfork and it's the cartoon and it's kind of funny, but it's not funny when you think about an enemy of your very soul who hates you, who lives to be your adversary and accuse you. And it goes on and it says, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And so it shows us what's going to happen. He is defeated by the risen Christ. He will be hurled down. But for now, he doesn't stop accusing day and night. And here's a little bit about how it kind of works. Before you ever sin, he begins lying to you, right? And and you'll hear the thoughts of, you should just go ahead and yell at him. Make them pay. Manipulate them. Make them feel bad for what they did. They deserve it right? You start thinking and justifying why it's okay to do something, and then you maybe do it, and afterwards, the whole tone changes. Well, I can't believe you did that. Man, you are unlovable. You're so undeserving. You're nothing. And so before you sin, the devil will tell you, go ahead and do it. It's no big deal. Everybody else does it. You're not going to get caught. Even if you do, it's your life. You can live it how you want, right? But then after you do it, suddenly you're pathetic. You're no good, God doesn't love you. I don't see how God could ever use you again. You've gone too far this time. So before you sin, he lies, and after you sin, he accuses. If you're taking notes today, you might write this down. When the devil talks to you about God, he lies. When the devil talks to you about yourself, he accuses. And so today we're going to look at a story in Zechariah chapter 3 in the Old Testament. We're going to be there for most of the morning if you want to turn there. And the context of this is that Zechariah is having a vision, and he sees a heavenly courtroom. And so you can kind of maybe just close your eyes for a second, picture a courtroom however you would. And there's a few different characters in this story. We have the angel of the Lord who is the judge, and then there's Joshua, the high priest. He's the one on trial. 
And actually in this story, he represents the nation of Israel as a whole. They're on trial because they've just kept sinning, kept messing up before God. And so Joshua is representing them and he is the defendant. And then there's Satan, the prosecutor. And he is going to try to convince the judge of Joshua's guilt. So he is the accuser. And what's interesting is he kind of has a case here about his guilt. He's going to say Joshua's robes are very dirty. And in the Old Testament, the high priest's robes were supposed to be clean, and dirt and filth was a sign of sin. And so he kind of has a case because they are dirty. And he kind of has a case because the Israelites have been messing up over and over and over again. And so he's on trial, and the angel of the Lord is the judge. And Joshua is now being attacked by the accuser. So here's how the story goes. In Zechariah 3.1, it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. So we'll pause for just a second because the angel of the Lord here, I want to talk about that for just a second, is most likely Christ. And that's kind of confusing for some people because it's like, well, how is he in the Old Testament? He wasn't born yet. So I'm going to teach you a word this morning that you can use maybe at dinner parties if you don't know it already and sound really smart. And uh, that is Christophany. A Christophany is an appearance of Christ in the Bible in a non-physical form. And there's a few of those throughout the Bible, like in the book of Daniel when there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and they won't bow down to the idol so they're thrown into the fiery furnace and everybody looks to see did they die when they look in there's four men walking around unharmed by the fire so that's believed to be a Christophany and so this is the angel of the Lord that's who we're talking about and in verse 1 it says then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan is standing at his right side to accuse him And so the devil is doing what the devil does. He's there to accuse Joshua. But I love what the Lord says in verse 2. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? In other words, he may be guilty, maybe he is, but he's going to be saved from punishment and rebuke you, Satan, for accusing him. And so here's the truth in verse 3. It says, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. He was dirty when he should have been clean. And maybe you can imagine just standing before God and you are guilty. Have any of you ever gone somewhere and you show up and you're like underdressed, way underdressed, your outfit is just not right, and you're like, ooh, I have misjudged the situation. And then you have to kind of be there all night just feeling like you're in the wrong clothes. I hate that feeling. Can you imagine how much worse it would be to be standing before God feeling that way? And I can't tell you how many people have told me that they feel too underdressed for church. In other words, I'll get there when I get my life cleaned up. I couldn't show up that way now. They feel too underdressed for God. But nothing could be further from the truth. And, and so imagine that you're standing before God and you've got sin on you. You've got this stain of sin and God is holy, but you're feeling incredibly guilty. And there's the prosecutor. There's the devil, the accuser, standing there, pointing out everything you've done wrong, all the terrible things that you already know about yourself. Didn't you used to shoplift all the time? Didn't you cheat your way through college? 
Aren't you a bad example in front of your family? Don't you just keep messing up over and over and over again? Nobody can even rely on you. Whatever it is, you can feel yourself just shrinking as the enemy begins to accuse you of all the things you already know. And I don't know what your particular thing would be, but I guarantee you, you know what it would be because you've heard it before. Don't you lie? Didn't you cheat on somebody and and break their heart? Don't you battle lust? Like, I know what you look at, and then you come to church and try to act all holy. You hypocrite. I can't believe you're here. Whatever it is, the enemy begins to accuse. And when the devil accuses, he hurls guilt and shame and condemnation at us because his whole goal is to isolate and separate us from God. Before we jump back into Zechariah and read a little more, I don't just want to talk about the enemy today. There's good news, Courtney mentioned it earlier, that we have an advocate. We have Jesus Christ on our side. We've looked at how the devil does his thing. The devil is the accuser, but Jesus is our advocate. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you that you will not sin. That's the goal, is that we not sin. But the Bible tells us that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So he says, if anyone does sin, we have a what? An advocate. Everybody say advocate. An advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So we have one who's accusing us. I mean, we're hearing those voices over and over and over, but we have the Son of God who is our advocate, and he is defending us when the enemy attacks. And it's right here in the story of Joshua. The devil is trying to prove his guilt. And look at verse 4 of Zechariah. It says, The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes, remove that guilt. Remove the stain of sin. Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Yes, you were dirty. Yes, you were guilty. There is a reason you felt unworthy, but I'm taking away that which shows the residue of your sin. I cannot tell you how many people I talk to in my office or that come to church and they cannot get their mind wrapped around this idea. I hope that you can visually in your mind see yourself there standing before God and him removing the filth, removing the dirty garments from you and placing the clean robe on you. That's exactly what he's doing here. I'm putting the fine garments on you. I'm putting on you something you cannot earn, you didn't deserve, and I'm not doing it because you're good. I'm doing it to show you how good I am. He put the robe of righteousness on Joshua. He's bringing him back to the Father. He's no longer separated. This perfectly parallels another story that we talk about a lot. We hear the one in the New Testament all the time. Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. It's the same story. Joshua in the Old Testament experienced what Jesus tells us in the New Testament, the story of this father and his two sons. And the younger son said, I want what's mine. I want my inheritance. And I want to go live the way I want to live. I don't want to live under your rules. So he went off and he lived a wild life. He partied hard. He smoked the devil's lettuce. 
He played truth or dare and always picking dare to live on the edge. You know what I'm talking about? Those kind of people. And where did he find himself? He finds himself isolated from his friends and his family. And he finds himself separated from his father. It's until he came to his senses. And some of you, maybe that's exactly where you are right now. You thought that is what you wanted. You thought you wanted to live life your way. And then you realized you're so far from where you ever wanted to be. The God you once walked with, you're now running from. But the scripture tells us this son came to his senses. He realized even the servants under his father were living better than he was. Maybe I can go back and just be a servant to my father. But when he started back, you know the story. He's headed down the road. He's coming home and the father sees him. And the father ran to him. And the father fell on him. And he took his filthy, he saw what he was in, that he was filthy, that he was dirty, that he was gross. But he took his own robe, the father's robe, and he put it on him as to cover the filth. So when the father looked at the son, he didn't see the residue of sin. Instead, he saw the outward righteousness of the father. It's the exact same story. He was a son. He was not a servant. And they went home to celebrate. I pray that you will see yourself as that today, as that son or daughter of God who has put the robe of righteousness on you. And so this is kind of the perfect picture of what happened in Zechariah chapter 3. He says, see, I've taken your sin away, and it's all by the grace of God. You see, when the devil looks at us, he sees sin, but when God looks at us, he sees forgiven. And I love the verse in Isaiah 1:18 that says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So if we look back at our text in Zechariah 3, it says in verse 5, Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. And then the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place amongst those standing there. And so the angel says, take off the filthy garments and put on the fine garments and then return to the temple and keep on serving the Lord. I don't know who maybe needs to hear this this morning, but maybe you've been living under the accusations of the enemy for a little bit too long. And you felt separated from the Father. You felt unworthy of his love. You've had doubt and you say, I've battled with this and that and it's too much. And God's like, no, no, no. I have forgiven your sin. It's time to get back to the temple and keep on serving the Lord. It's time to come back home, get back in the game, keep on loving Jesus, keep on loving others, keep on pointing them to Jesus, get back to serving the Lord. And what we need as Jesus followers is to be able to clearly distinguish between the devil's accusation and the spirit's conviction because they are very different voices. And we need to be able to know the voice of God. John 10, 10 says that my sheep know my voice. We want to know the voice of our father. We want to be in his word. We want to be spending time with him so that when he speaks to us, we hear it. But there's a very big difference between accusation and conviction. The devil accuses, but the spirit convicts. The accuser wants to separate us from God, but conviction leads us to the presence of God. 
And so when the devil accuses, it drives us away from God, makes us feel like, I just, I can't do that right now. I don't want to deal with that. God's probably mad at me. But conviction leads us to God. I need his grace. I need his mercy. I want his forgiveness. Accusations make us feel guilty and ashamed, dirty and distant, but conviction just shows us our need and pulls us to the grace and the goodness of God. Conviction causes us to change our course. And 2 Corinthians 7.10 really highlights the difference in these two things. It says, godly sorrow brings repentance, meaning that we want to change. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. No regret. So that's pushing us towards God. But worldly sorrow, accusations, bring death or separation from God. So godly sorrow makes us want to change. It leaves no regrets. Because when we repent, we're getting closer to God. And Beth Moore talks a little bit about this. She says, no act of violence against the gospel is more tragic than amputating repentance from the message of salvation. It is not a mercy. It cuts the legs off of those who would run to Jesus. Because conviction and repentance go hand in hand. Yes, God forgives us. No, he doesn't expect us to stay there. We want to change. We want to follow him. We want to be more like him. So conviction and repentance, the one leads to the other, and both lead us to Jesus. I think this is where some people get it wrong or get confused when they come to church and they feel condemnation or they feel judgment. And really, uh, it's hard to distinguish what that is they're feeling. Sometimes it's those voices coming from the devil. And it's hard for them to know, is this you know, is this what I'm feeling or is it conviction of the Holy Spirit? What do we do with that conviction? Courtney just read that scripture. When you are feeling convicted, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. We repent. In other words, we turn from that sin. We turn to God. Again, she just said it. Whenever Satan accuses, he wants you to feel guilty he wants you to feel shame, to feel unloved, to feel unworthy. But whenever the Spirit convicts you, it draws you to the presence of God, to experience His grace and His goodness. And it's the conviction that leads you to confess your sins. And God promised that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He takes that filthy robe, He removes it, and he replaces it with a clean garment. Pray that you would see that today. I'm going to close with one more point. I think it's on the back of the bulletin for you, but you can write it down if you want. I think it's a beautiful way to remember what we're talking about today. The devil knows your name, but he is going to call you by your sin. Every time, he's going to remind you of what you've done more than who you are. He, he knows your name, but he's going to call you by your sin. But God knows your sin, but he's going to call you by your name. He truly sees you as you really are in Christ. You need to know your enemy this morning, but more importantly, even though he wants to steal, kill, and destroy, you need to know the voice of the Father. Let that voice be louder. Let it speak to you and remind you Yes, we're guilty. 
Yes, we're filthy. But God is willing to remove that guilt, remove that filth, put the robe of righteousness on us. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? here this morning, you've been listening to the voice of the enemy, believing those accusations, allowing you to separate yourself from the Father. Maybe you've known God a long time, but you've never been able to get beyond a certain point because you just keep hearing this reminder of who you were or what you've done in your past. Pray that you would see yourself standing before God. before the advocate, the one who can remove the guilt, remove the shame, remove that dirty robe and replace it. The robe of righteousness. The Holy Spirit's been speaking to you through this message today and you just would like to be prayed over. I would love to pray for you this morning. And I would just ask, this point, will you just lift your hand and say, Chad, will you say a prayer for me today? Will you agree with me in prayer? Thank you. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Anyone else this morning? Heavenly Father, you see these hands that were raised. Lord, I pray. Lord, as the enemy that we have, every one of us in this room has the same enemy. It's not someone on this earth. It's our accuser. And he loves to remind us of what we've done. He loves to remind us that we are not worthy. But Father, the truth is, because of you, not because of how good we are, but because of your goodness, because of your grace, we are able to stand before you, loved, accepted, chosen by you, a child of God. I pray that these that raise their hand today would see that. God, they would overcome that shame and guilt that has plagued them. And they would walk in your love, seeing themselves as your child. Thank you for what you're doing in their hearts today. God, I pray that you would remind all of us as we leave this place today, knowing that we are chosen, that we are your children. We are clothed in righteousness. May we walk in that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.